Welcome, I'm Nestor Flores, the pastor of Dayspring Church in Mission Hills, California. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast. I want to invite you to learn more about Dayspring Church by visiting our website, dayspringmh.org. We trust that if you open your heart, God will speak to you and you'll know how to live a life with God at the center that will result in a blessed life. This message will inspire, build your faith, and help you to know God better. Enjoy the message. Today we're going to start a new series called The Power of Unity. And uh, we're going to talk about unity, not only because it's a great need in our society, in our families, in our churches, but we're going to talk about unity because unity is hard to the close of God. Unity is something that God desires for us so much that, that, that let me tell you how important it is. Jesus, before going to the cross, Jesus, before dying for our sins, in one of his last prayers, you know what he prayed? He prayed for you and me that we would be united. Think about that. Think about that for a minute. He could have prayed for anything. He could have prayed for prosperity. He could have prayed uh, for success. He could have prayed uh, that, 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 that we would have power. But the one thing that Jesus prayed to the Father and he said, here's what I want for them. I want them to be one as you and I are one. So the question is, why is unity such a big deal to God? We often don't equate unity with, with God. We, we, we connect love, we connect holiness, we connect power with, with God, but we don't think of unity as synonymous to God. But yet unity is such a big deal. It's, it's, it's part of who God is. And the reason unity matters so much to God is because unity has enormous power. In fact, that's what we're going to see in this series. If you have your bulletin, would you pull out the outline that's found uh, inside of it? We're going to read 1 Corinthians 1.10 together. I'm going to invite you to stand with me as we read the Word of God. Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he tells them the following. Look at what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that what all you, what? Agree with one another, all of you, agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no what? Divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and Lord, your word is truth. There is nothing more true on earth than what you have revealed about yourself to us through your word, Lord. So, Father, as we approach it, may it not be a motivational speech. May it not be a religious duty. May it be rivers of living water coming into our soul. Lord, we, we don't just want to learn about unity. We want to live it. We want to enjoy it. We want it in our families. We want it in our marriage. We want it in our church. We want it in our nation, Lord. So as we approach your word, give us wisdom and understanding. But also, Lord, make it true in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen 
and amen. You may be seated. Unity has enormous power. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about the kind of power unity has. Unity has the kind of power to bless all relationships. Not just marriage, not just families, but all kinds of relationships, whether it is in a team or, or, or a business or a community or, or a church. Unity blesses all relationships. Unity is a blessing because it gives strength to advance and make progress. Have you ever noticed that people divided can't make progress? They either stay stuck or they go backwards. Unity has enormous power and it's a blessing because unity opens the door to prosperity. The Bible says that where there is unity, God sends his blessing. Unity is such a big deal because unity fosters joy. I'm sure you've experienced being upset at a sibling or a family member. And when you have your Thanksgiving dinners or Christmas parties, there's no joy. Right? You got that corner over here. They got that corner over there. And you know they're talking about you and you're talking about them. And there's no joy in that celebration. But not only does unity bring these things, but unity also brings peace. Have you noticed that? Come on, married people, talk to me. How much peace is there when you and your significant other are not united in one? Even the dog knows it, right? So unity introduces us. It, it ushers a, a spirit of peace and calmness. It creates happiness, right? So if, if unity has this kind of power, well, then the opposite is true of disunity. If unity causes such great things, well then, disunity must also bring damage and pain and loss. If unity brings joy, well then, disunity causes the loss of joy. If unity brings peace, then disunity causes the loss of peace. If unity brings happiness and prosperity and, and goodness, well then, disunity brings frustrations and sorrows and, and pain. And if unity is a blessing to our relationships, well, then this unity destroys our relationships. And the reason we're going to talk about unity is because we want those blessings in all of our relationships. I want unity in my marriage. I want unity with my kids. I want unity with my siblings. I want unity in our church. I want unity in my community. I would love some unity in our nation. Anybody else with me? Right? And if we want those blessings that unity comes, well, then we need to pursue unity. Because that is where God sends his blessing. And that is where the power of God unfolds. Have you ever made the connection that where there is no unity, God's power is limited? We read in 1 Corinthians what Paul writes to the church. And let's read it again and look at what he says. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there be no divisions among you. Look at that. Look at how he begins that verse. Paul says, I appeal to you. This, this expression, I appeal to you, is, is a strong request. It's a strong suggestion, but it really has the idea of a commandment. And it's almost like, like a loving father, you know, and you've probably done this, where you're saying, 
please go throw out the trash. Right? You're not really asking them. They're not really doing you a favor. You're just trying to be kind to them, right? And Paul says, I appeal to you. And the appeal is towards unity. Now, where is it that Paul gets this authority to make such commandment? Well, the authority is in the name of Jesus Christ. Because that's exactly what Jesus prayed for. Right? Now, 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 here's the thing. Here's the thing. I don't know if you know this or not, but God never asks of us anything that is impossible for us to do. So if you've ever read the Bible and said, no, I can't do that, you are believing the enemy. Because God would never require something of us that it is impossible for us to do. You notice that the Bible doesn't require us to fly? Because God didn't make us to fly. So if Paul is commanding us, if Paul is appealing to us to have unity, that means that unity is what? It's possible. Here, here's what this means, okay? And here's what I, what I want you to understand, and I'm going to remind you throughout this series. Unity is something that we can achieve. It's a decision that we make. It's something that we decide to do. So here's the big, here's the big point. Unity is obtainable, and disunity is avoidable. If your family... If your friendships are experiencing this unity, it's because you've allowed it. It's because there's been some choices that have been intentionally made or maybe in ignorance made that have caused disunity. So if you want unity, you got to know that it is obtainable. It can happen. And unity does not happen automatically. It does not happen by itself. It needs to be sought after. It needs to be nurtured. It needs to be seeked. It needs to be fought for. Unity is within our reach. Unity is something that we can obtain. It is something that we can enjoy. And let me tell you, you and I, through our decisions and habits, whether intentionally or unintentionally, we always choose unity or disunity. One of the things that I always tell couples, because it's one of the things that I learned about marriage, is that you always have to ask yourself, especially in those arguments and difficult seasons, what do you really want out of your marriage? You know, when she's waking you up at 1130 to go out the trash, what do you want out of your marriage? Not what do you want, because what you want at that moment is stay in bed, right? But what do you want out of your relationship? Because that's a whole different story. What I want at that moment and what I want out of my relationship are going to be two different things. And sometimes we don't choose what we want for our relationships and we choose what we want at that moment. And what does it do? It ends up costing us our relationships. So, so we decide. Now, now, here's the thing. I believe that we all want to enjoy of unity, right? I just read, I, I mentioned a few weeks back that I've been reading a lot of parenting books. And, and in one of the books that I read, um, the author says, my goal for parenting is that my kids would want to be with us when they don't have to be with us. And I think that's a really good goal. Right? If you're an older parent, you know the horrible pain of your older kids not wanting to be around you. 
And I think we all want unity in our marriage, in our relationships. Uh, we want our friends and family members to be with us. So the question is, if unity is obtainable and it's something that I want, how do I get it? How do I foster? How do I seek? How do I nurture unity? Well, in this series, we're going to look at six elements that produce unity. And we're going to begin today, and uh, I'm going to give you the first one today, and I hope you don't miss the next five so that you can learn to nurture and foster unity in all of your relationships. Amen? Let's look at the first one. We're going to look at the first ingredient that produces, that nurtures unity. The first ingredient for unity and the most powerful ingredient of unity, are you ready? Is love. Love is the strongest unifying factor of all. If you don't begin with love, as we saw last week, we're nothing. Love is the foundation for all relationships. If there isn't love, there can't be progress. If there isn't love, there can't be unity, or at least it's a lot harder to. Love is foundational. And we see this in the Bible from beginning to end. We see it in the beginning when God created Adam and Eve. He created them to be one, united by what? Love. It was love. It wasn't paradise. It wasn't rules. It was love that united them. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and unite to his wife and become what? One. For those of you that... You've been married. When you begin to lose love, you begin to lose what? Relationship. You begin to lose unity. And see, because love is so essential to the unity, it is why that the enemy fights so hard to quench your love. I don't think it's a coincidence that the Bible says that in the last days, people will lose their love. Because when you lose love, then, then, then there's so much of what God wants to do is impossible for it to be a reality in your life. And the sad thing is that the enemy fights us so good. And when you don't know how he fights you, you become more susceptible to his attacks. But that is why the enemy fights us so hard to try and destroy the love in us. And you know the sad thing? That as we look around, it, it looks like he's winning. It looks like, see, like he's doing such a great job. Can I prove that to you? And I'm not being a pessimistic or, or negative. What is more common in our days, unity or disunity? Right? Reminds me of a, of a story. It says that a man was boarding his plane and he had the biggest smile a man could have and there was even a skip to his step and he was just so happy, just so exuberant. There was so much joy in him, you know? And as he was loading the plane, the, the, plane, the stewardess saw him and she noticed just the joy in him. So she asked, why are you so happy? What's going on? He went on to explain that he was excited to head back home to be able to be with his wife and celebrate 26 years of marriage. He thought that she was going to congratulate him. But she saw him with the weirdest face 
because she thought he was lying. It isn't it common in our days to, it's hard to believe that somebody that's been married for 26 years would be so happy. You know, this Valentine's Day, I, I love memes. I, one of, that's one of my sinful confessions. I love memes and uh, I saw so many of them. And uh, one of the funny ones was this big king size bed with, with a wall in the middle. And it said, this is for couples that have been married for more than 15 years. And he says, for couples that have been married for more than 25 years, instead of a wall, there's an electrical fence. Right? And that's what's kind of common in our days. Reminds me of a joke. It says that uh, a lady, a woman was talking to her best friend and he was, she was telling her, she said, you know, me and my husband, we're inseparable. We're just inseparable. And she said, oh, how cute. That, that, that's really got to be awesome. That's so nice that you guys always want to be together. And she said, no, 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 not in that way. We're inseparable in the way that when we fight, it takes up to eight cops to separate us. <laughs> Why is it? Why is it that it is so challenging to live in unity? Well, because there's three forces that fight unity in our relationships, whether you're married, whether it is at work, wherever it is, even at church, there's three forces that fight unity. Let me show this illustration to you and tell you what they are. What are those three forces? Differences, expectations, and offenses. All these three things are fighting every single one of our relationships and they're pushing uh, they're pushing this unity in our relationships. We all have differences, right? All of us. Some of us, we're morning people. Others are not. Some of you uh, are people that think and others are people that feel. Some of you want longer worship. Some of you say, why even have worship, right? Some of you think Pastor Nestor is a great preacher and some of you think he's a great preacher. <laughs> Right? We all have differences. We all have differences. Uh, when, when I do premarital couple with couples, I always like to do a, a, a six-month and a one-year checkup with them just to see how they're doing. And I'll tell you why. Because at six months and at one year, you start noticing the differences. When you're dating, you're, you're, you're like Gumby. You're flexible, Right? But then you get married and you become a stick figure. No, this is the way I roll my toothbrush. And this is where I always put my towel. And differences, differences create disunity. But second is expectations. Now, we all have expectations. And expectations can be good. The problem with expectations is that when expectations are not communicated and agree upon, then they become an issue. We all have, you guys have expectations about me. And when I don't fulfill those, ex, and I'm just using myself as an, as an example to not offend anybody. When I don't fulfill those expectations, what is it that you do? I'm not going to church anymore. I'm not tithing anymore. I'm not helping anymore, right? Disunity begins to happen. And the third uh, force that produces disunity is offenses. You know this. The people you love the most are the ones that are going to hurt you the most. Why? Because love. 
You know, when somebody you love tells you that you've gained some weight, it hurts a lot more than when some random person you don't love says, hey, you look a little chubby today. Right? Because it is the love between us that, that gives weight to words. It is that, that's why some of you, when, when your dad said something joking around when you were a kid, or maybe it wasn't joking around, but he said something mean in a, in a weak moment, that's why it stayed with you for years. And chances are that somebody at school may have said some worse things to you, but the reason what your dad said hurt more than what a bully said is because of the love that exists between you and that other person. Right? So these three forces, they, they produce this unity. So what is that can bring us together? Well, love. Love is the uniting factor. Let me show you this other... Um, Illustration, love unifies. And in fact, this is what I want to talk to you about. Because love, love unifies because love embraces differences. Because love seeks to satisfy expectations. And love covers a multitude of offenses. Love. Look at what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14.1. He says, let love be what? Your highest goal. Once again, once again. Out of all the highest goals, why love? Why not holiness? Why not generosity? Why not success? Why not health? Why love? Why, why does Paul say, why should love be our highest goal? Well, because if you were here last week, we said that without love, Anything means nothing. Love is essential. Love can do all things. And everything else is empowered, enhanced, and multiplied by love. So how is it? How is it? Can we go back to that um, illustration? How is it <clears throat> that love produces unity? How is it that love can, can counterattack the differences, the offenses, and the expectations? Well, let me show you how. Number one, and you can fill this out in your outline. Love creates unity, number one, by appreciating differences as complementary distinctives. Love creates unity by appreciating differences not as you're wrong and I'm right, but as you are one way and I'm another and we're just different, not wrong. That's what love does. Love takes things that are different and doesn't see them as a threat, doesn't see them as a negative, sees them as something that can complement me. Look at what Philippians 2, 2 the first part of, of 1 Philippians 2, 2 says. He says, I ask you to live in what? Harmony. You know what harmony means? Harmony means combination or adjustment. To have harmony means to adjust or to combine. And the perfect example, it's a music band, right? Or an orchestra. They're not all the same instruments. Can you imagine if all the people up here were drummers? Yeah, that'd be loud. Right? And it would be just one sound. Can you imagine if everybody here was just a bass player? No, there's different instruments that are play, played differently, that create different sounds, that have one goal, one harmony. 
But you know what we often do in our relationships? We don't want harmony. We want uniformity. We want everybody to be like who? Why can't people just be more like, isn't it true? You, you, you've probably never said this out loud, but I'm sure you've thought it. If people were just more like you, the world would be a better place. Right? And, and it is that kind of attitude that creates this unity. But love, love says, you know, I love you. You're just different. And instead of attacking the differences, I'm going to embrace them and see how they can help me. Uh, I, I, I think I've shared this with you in the past. When Lorena and I first got married, um, there was a lot of adjusting going on, you know, and I'm a morning person. I'm a morning person. The older I get, the more earlier I wake up, you know, but I've always been a morning person and she's always been a night person, right? And when we were dating, we used to talk about, you know, on Saturdays, we're going to wake up early. We're going to go for a hike and then we're going to go have breakfast. And she would say, yeah, when we get married, we're going to stay up late and we're going to watch movies and we're just going to order pizza. You know, you know, that never happened. Because I would wake up in the morning and I'm like, hey, let's go hiking. Oh, it's too early. And then she would want to put a movie at 10 o'clock and I was already asleep. And we had so many arguments, right? It's like, oh, you don't love me anymore because you don't stay up with me anymore. And you don't love me anymore because you don't wake up with. And it got to a point where we we're like, we're just different. So guess what? I deal with the kids in the morning and she deals with the kids at night. That's awesome. Right? I'm a doer. I'm a person that, that I like to get the ball rolling. I don't make a plan and I mess it up along the way, but I get the ball rolling. She, she is detailed. She makes plans. She has a list for the lists that she makes. I don't even know if I said that right. Right? She's got a list of her to-do list, and then she's got a list of all her to-do list, and, and it's wonderful, right? And we can drive each other crazy when we don't embrace the differences that we have. She's good. She's really good at getting her money back. Whenever we go someplace, I'm more like, wow, you know, they maybe had a bad day. We just sacrificed the meal. And she's like, no, 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 we're paying. We're going to get our meal right. And I'm really good at finding cheap deals, right? I'm, I'm the guy that will do the research and find everywhere and look at the different models and say, hey, we can save some money by going. We're different. And that's, that's how love unifies that it looks at the differences not as competitive things, but as complementary elements to our lives. Look at what the Bible says about first in 1 Corinthians 12, 12. It says, our own body has what? Many parts. When all these parts are put together, they are what? Only one body. The body of Christ is like this. In other words, we are supposed to be different. Why, why doesn't, some of you say, why don't we feed the homeless? And some of you say, well, why don't we care for the youth? Well, why don't we clean the church? And why don't we pay? We're different. And when we learn to embrace those differences, we're going to experience what? Unity. When we stop expecting everybody else to be like us and we start complimenting each other, that's when we can enjoy unity. And you know what creates, what, what motivates that attitude to, to say, hey, you're different, but I still love you? That, but, but I still want to be with you. It's love. You know, I don't shy away from political arguments. 
Not on social media. I hate doing it on social media. I think it's the worst place to do it because people get um, keyboard courage, right? They'll say things through their keyboard that they won't tell you in person. But 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 I don't shy away from political um, arguments and conversations. And 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 I especially love to have them with people that I have relationship with. And 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 I differ from people. And whenever I do have those conversations, I am always sure to, to remind them and myself, hey, no political position is greater than my love for you. I want you to know that even though you voted for so-and-so, I still love you. We could be different. You don't want to do this. You don't want to do that. It's great. But as long as you love the Lord and it is the blood of Christ that unites us, that's enough to have unity. Amen. So that's the first way. The second way that love fosters unity is by equipping us to love others, satisfying their expectations. It's by equipping us, by helping us to love others, by satisfying their expectations. As I mentioned, we all have expectations, right? You have expectations about your loved ones. You have expectations about your boss. Your boss has expectations about you. And the problem with those expectations is that when they're not met, what do we tend to do? A rare person. The rare person will communicate and say, hey, I have this need. I have this expectation that you're not meeting. But 90, at least 90% of the people, what do they do when those expectations are not met? Nobody called me. Nobody cared for me. And they don't say, hey, I wish I would have gotten a call. I wish somebody would have come visit me. What do they do? They just disconnect. Because that's, that's what, what, what attacks um, unity, expectations. But love, love fosters unity by equipping us, by enabling us to be able to meet the expectations and the needs of others. Look at what <clears throat> Philippians 2, verse 2, what it continues to say. He says, I ask you to live in harmony and to what? To love one another. What is love? In our day, love has been narrowed down to a feeling. Love has been narrowed down to goosebumps and happiness. But please hear me out. Biblically speaking, love is much more than a feeling. <clears throat> love is a feeling, but it is much more. It begins as a feeling. But the ultimate definition of what love is, is that love is a decision. Love is a commitment. Love is not a matter of feelings of like, if I feel like doing it, then I'll do it. If I don't feel like doing it, then I don't. That is not love. Love is not a matter of desire. Well, if it's in me to do it, I'll do it. And if not, I won't do it. No, love is much more greater than a desire. Love is not a matter of circumstances. Well, if things are going well and you behave well, I'll love you. And if you don't, I'm out of here. Love is much greater than circumstances. Love is not a matter of times or seasons where you may say, well, you know, there was a time that I loved you, but then this and this happened and, and that's changed. Well, well, then that wasn't true love because love is a decision. It's a commitment. It's deciding to stick with somebody, it's deciding to give, not because they deserve it or don't deserve it, but because of who you want to be and because of the decisions that you have made. 
And love, love, love helps us, equips us to meet the needs of others because love's primary goal, at least the biblical love, is not what can I receive, but what can I give? See, in our days, love is about what I get out of this. Biblically speaking, love is about what I can give. The most famous verse in the Bible says, For God so loved the world that He what? He gave. He gave. Look at what we're told in Philippians 2.4. It says, don't look out only, and I wanted to emphasize only, because it is important that we take care of ourselves, right? Self-care is important. But he says, don't look out only for what? Your own interests. But take interest in others too. In other words, if I want to focus on what I want and how I want it, I can't expect unity. But unity is birth. Through love, because love says, well, here's what I want, but what would you want? Can I tell you a big revelation I just had not so long ago? And you're going to think I'm, uh, I'm foolish, and I am, right? The Bible says that God takes the foolish things of this world, right? So I just had this big revelation. And I knew this, but like, you know, sometimes you know things, and then there's the really knowing in your heart, right? So Maria and I, we're not a perfect couple. We're not. And if you've been around us, you know that, right? Like, we're not a perfect couple. We have our arguments and all that stuff. And uh, we've had our seasons where, where it's been rough. It's just been hard, you know? Uh, we get angry at each other. She drives to church in her car. I drive to church in my car. But we still come to church, right? Um, not always. So if you see us driving, it's not because we're angry. But, but anyways, so, you know, and, and uh, in, my, in, in, in me, I, I was like, I'm a good husband. Like, like, I am a good husband, you know? Like, I help around the house. I take care of, like, my own clothes. Uh, um, you know, I don't have any, any like, gambling habits or addictions or, or things like that. I love the Lord. Things like that, you know? So, so I was like, I'm a good husband. She ought to be grateful that of the husband that she has, you know? Like, that should be enough for her to feel loved. And I had this realization. I had this realization, okay? And here it is. It, and it may not be a big deal for you. But, but the Holy Spirit just engraved this. And the problem was that I was loving her my way and not her way. I, yeah, I'll say it once again, James. Um, I was loving, <laughs> I was loving her my way and not her way. And here's the thing, like her biggest, her biggest complaint about me and the biggest complaint of Manolo as well about me is my impatience. It's like, you're just so impatient. You're always in a hurry. You stress me out. So I said, I'm done. I'm done. You know how last week I told you I was done screaming at my kids? I want to be done being impatient. Today I sat in the car for 15 minutes waiting for her, and I wanted a hug, but I was like, no, I want to love her the right way. Now Nathan was the impatient one. He was in the car and he was like, what's taking so long? I want to go see what mom is doing. We got to go. And I was and I could say, dude, relax, relax. Just hang on. She's coming. We'll get there, you know. Because here's the thing. Love says, what do you need of me? Isn't that what God did for us? To say, what do you need? And that's what he, and he gave us more than what we needed, right? So love is a unifying factor because love equips us to not be selfish, but to say love 
is about giving. Did you know that you can't that you can't love and not give? Nobody gives more than they love. Your love is the measure to your generosity. When you don't love somebody, you give stingily, you give conditionally. But when you love something, you give extravagantly. And love nurtures unity because it says, it says it's not about you deserving it, but it is about you needing it, and it is about what is good for this relationship. What if we had that mentality as a church? What if we had that mentality as a nation? Number three. Third, love, love fosters unity by empowering us to solve our wounds or to heal our wounds. If hurts and offenses create this unity, well, love empowers us to solve our wounds. Look at what Philippians 2.2 says. I ask you to live in harmony and to love one another that... That way they will make me very happy. Agree on what you think. Desire the what? The same things. Paul says agree. Now, that, that expression agree is very important. And we have to look at another passage to understand what Paul has in mind. And Isaiah is going to help us understand uh, this idea of agreeing. In Isaiah 118, Isaiah speaking, the Lord speaking through Isaiah, the Lord says the following. He says, come now, let us discuss seriously. Let's see if we what? Agree. God is saying, come. You've done some horrible things. Come, we need to figure this out. We got to come to some kind of agreement. I like how the New Living Translation puts it. Look at what it says. He says, God speaking, saying, come now. We are going to what? To solve this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins be like scarlet, I will make them as white as snow. Though they be red as crimson, I will make them as white as wool. Love empowers us to be able to agree, to be able to find solutions for our hurts. When God uses this expression in Isaiah and he says, come, let us agree on this. The idea behind it is a courtroom. It's a courtroom where, where our actions and, and our behavior and what we've done is brought to light. Now, when we are brought to a courtroom before God, we are always guilty. I know some of you, you're angry at God because you think he should have done something, right? And it's like, God, if you would have done this, then this wouldn't have happened. Let me tell you, let me tell you, all the bad that happens to us, it's not God's fault. He warns us. He guides us. He empowers us. We make choices that then we end up trying to blame God for. But when God says, come, let us agree, he's inviting us into a courtroom with him. And he says, if you and I are not good, it's not because of me, but it is because of you. I'm not going to point at you. I'm going to begin with myself. Have I hurt God's feelings? Yes. Have I offended God's holiness? Yes. Have I disobeyed God's goodness? Yes. So God says, hey, we got to figure this out. But you know the beautiful thing about God? That yes, he calls us into a courtroom, but he calls us into a courtroom where our sins are not only recognized, but they can be forgiven. 
See, some of us, we think that God, God wants us to admit our wrongdoing so that he can send lightning. No, he wants you to recognize your wrongdoing so that he can forgive you. So that he can offer you freedom. And what is it that motivates God to doing that? His love for you and for me. So if we're going to, to agree, if we're going to find solutions on, 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 on our wounds, on our hurts, we're going to need love to be the motivation behind saying, hey, listen, I need you to recognize that you're impatient. But, but I'm willing to forgive you. Why? Because I love you. Forgiving somebody doesn't, doesn't mean, forgiving somebody doesn't mean that, that, that you are denying what they did was wrong. But forgiving somebody means that you choose to love a person more than the hurt that they caused to you. And that's exactly, that's exactly what God invites us to. In our relationships, if we would just be willing to say, hey, we've got to figure this out. And we've got to figure it out, out, not to prove who's right and who's not, but we've got to figure this out because I love you too much to lose you. Because I love you too much to let you go. And yes, it's hurt and you've said and you've done some meaningful things, but, but we've got to figure this out. Because love has got to be greater. Now, here's the thing. I said this last week. And I just, I, I got to keep reminding us. Loving this way is not natural. It's not easy. I've been vengeful towards Lorena. Oh, you're not going to make me dinner? Okay. Well, then you feel your own car. All right? Some of you guys didn't get that. It's okay. So loving this way is not natural, it's not easy. So, so where do we find the motivation to love this way? You won't find it in a political party. You won't find it in the gym. You won't find it in some self-help book. You won't find it in education. The only place to find this kind of love is to first experience the love of God. Look at what the Bible says. In 1 John 4.19. We love God. Why? Because he first loved us. So that means there was a time that God loved you when you didn't love him. Have you thought about that? You cursed at him. You denied him. You blamed him. And what did he do? He was patient. He was loving. He was kind. He was available. If somebody says... If someone says, I love God, but hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, not, not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this commandment, whoever loves God must also what? So, so what's the condition for loving one another? To first experience the love of God. Have you noticed? Love, love has such power. Love is so powerful that love makes you like the thing you love. Have you noticed that? You want me to give you a funny example? That's why they said pets look like their owners. In their mannerisms and their behaviors and those, right? You've seen really happy people, they have really happy dogs. You, you, those really serious people, they have really serious dogs. Because... Here's the thing, that, that, I meant that to be funny. But here's the thing, love makes us like the subject we love. It does. And when you love God, you will become like God. When you love God, 
his heart is going to begin to develop in you. When you love God, his eyes are going to begin to develop in you. When you love God, his hands are going to begin to develop in you. Because love has such power that it, it, it makes us like the object that we love. So do you want unity in your relationships? The first ingredient, the first thing that we need is love. Because love unifies by equipping us to forgive, by equipping us to meet the needs of others, by equipping us to find ways to, to, to find solutions for the pains that we have caused. But again, the beginning point is God's love first in us. Are you spending time daily letting God love on you? Are you spending time in the quiet just recognizing God's love over you? If you're not, it's going to be hard to love others. Because if you can't love him who is perfect, how are you going to love those that are not? We hope you enjoyed this message. But before you go, we want to extend an invitation to start a personal relationship with Jesus and declare him your God. No one loves you like Jesus, and no one will impact your life for good like Jesus will. Would you make the following prayer your prayer? Heavenly Father, I repent of my wrongdoing. I open my heart and I want to have a personal relationship with you. I trust that Jesus died so I could be forgiven, but he didn't stay dead. He rose back to life so I could have eternal life. From today on, I will follow you, transform my life through your truth and love. In Jesus' name, amen. Congratulations. If you made that prayer, God lives in you and now you have a new life in him. Connect to a church so your faith and love for God can continue to grow. We believe that you can find a loving and encouraging community in Dayspring Church. Come visit us. You belong here. We would love to meet you.